made it back on time. Back on time, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's twice been, in a row. It's been a week. Yeah. Back to a weekly po- a weekly podcast. <laughs> well, maybe until I have to travel in a couple of weeks, then I won't be here. Oh. Yeah, I've, I've uh, been lucky on the travel thing, but I've been unlucky on the moving thing. That's right. You moved. How'd that go? Yeah. Uh, pretty well, overall. We had everything all packed up, and we were only moving like a mile. So, oh, yeah. That's cool. Or maybe even a half a mile. Did yeah, you actually... Well, not, it's not, a mile's not close enough to walk anything. No, no. But we had, we hired, it was two moving, uh, separate, well, two, two teams, I guess. Each had, just like, each one was like three guys in a truck. Mm-hmm. Same company, but you can, you can hire more than one crew if you want to. So you got six guys in two trucks. Yep. And it, they moved everything in about six hours. Was it literally three guys for each truck? Mm-hmm. Oh. Why, why would it not be? No. Is that strange? Well, the. The, the company's called Three Guys in a Truck, right? No, no. It's not. This was like Movers Plus or something like that. Oh, okay. There's a moving company called Three Guys in a Truck. Right. right? Yeah, okay. I guess that's a good format. It I, must be a guess. good combination. <laughs> <laughs> no, these were, it was a different company, but yeah, you can, you want one crew or two crews or three crews, whatever you want. I mean, we could have done one crew, but it would have taken, I don't know, probably 10 hours. Yeah. And yeah, the faster the better. Yeah. And getting it over with. Because it was nice. Because, you know, again, by like five or six, they were done in the afternoon, evening, whenever that is. I think, no, they were done at three. That sounds nice. Yeah, they were done at three. I mean, was every... Nine I, to three. It, it, that sounds like it wasn't stressful, given the short time frame. It it was a lot less stressful than it could have been. Yeah. I moved a, I've moved a lot. I know you have too, but yeah. it's always been a huge stress. Yeah. And we've lived, we lived at this house for 13 years, and I've got a... You know, I've got two kids and... Yeah, you find just, everything in the oh nooks and God. crannies. You think you're done. You think you, you... You look around your house and you think, oh, there's not that much. Because I had to recently move a bunch of stuff out for my remodel. And you think, I don't have that much stuff. We just need to get the big stuff out. And then the little stuff starts piling up. And the boxes start piling up. I thought I was just able to store a few boxes in the garage or something. No, I ended up having to go back to the storage and start shoving more stuff into it. Oh, and you know, that reminds me. That's one thing I we have not even talked about at all. Is that we had pre-loaded a bunch of stuff into a storage unit. Oh, that'd like be fun. tons of boxes. Yeah, that's gonna be fun. Yep. So we still have to do that. And it's like if we have made it this far, and I mean, I want to go. How I want to see how long we go before we realize that we need something out of that storage unit because I don't think we need any of it. And there's a ton of books. First of all, we have too many books. That's a problem. I can you have too many books because they weigh about eighty-five tons, and but it's the only way to to display your 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 mass amount of knowledge that you hold but in your brain. Most of them are going to stay in boxes anyway, because we don't even have enough place to put them. That's one thing I miss about, you know, libraries and, you know, bookcases not being a thing anymore. Now they're just packed with like fake books so that you can show them off. That's ridiculous. Is now, now you can't, you can't show off what you've read. Yeah. It's all on a tablet now. So you can't be like, Oh, I'm, I'm I like, I read Moby Dick or I made war and peace. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm educated. I think I tried to read war and peace once. Was it a war or peace? <laughs> Never read it. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big book. Yeah. One of the good Russian authors. It was that uh, Dostoevsky or, or, is that right? Or Tol- I think it's Tolstoy. I think that's it. Yeah. I like buying hardback. Um, I don't like buying the, the little flimsy ones. <clears throat> really? Yeah. I heard of that about you. <laughs> All right, John. You had this grin, and now you were going to take it somewhere. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'd, you've told me that before that you like uh, hardbacks. Let's, let's talk about Salesforce before you get me in trouble here. 
Maybe well, I do. What's wrong with that? I'm nothing. I I kind of <laughs> do too. I mean, I I like physical books. Period. The end. Better. Did you you know there's science on this that uh, comprehension is like twenty percent higher on if you are reading a physical book versus a screen or a reader. Okay. I I subscribe to that because I have so many books on. I have the, I have the Kindle. First of all, it's yeah. really small. It's real. It's light, but I still get fatigued from holding it because I have to hold it a certain way. But same thing like with the book, though. I get fatigued on holding these big books. No, well, the book I can kind of just hold it and let it sit on my hands and read it just fine. But with the I can't do that with this tiny little device. I have to pinch it and hold it up a certain way, and so I get my wrist gets fatigued. I, it's almost like they're too. I think they're too small. I think so. Yeah, and then I can't read both. I'm I'm a I'm one of those guys that has to read and then sometimes I have to go back and read again just so my comprehension. Me too. I've never been one that could just read it through and then yeah. and then go back and read it through again. I have to like read it and when I go, wait a minute, I lost something somewhere. I have to be able to go back. And on these devices I can't do that. It it's or I can, but it's really weird. And the way the the paging works on them, like the font is different or something, you go back, it like resets the paging really oh, weird oh yeah yeah so the page numbers aren't don't even pay attention to page numbers basically right yeah. yeah don't pay attention to page numbers but when you go back where you thought something was isn't there because it kind of reshuffled mm-hmm. things based on reflowed everything yeah yep. yeah so I, I mean there are some advantages like the, the ability like if you're like oh crap you know especially um as they increase the features of these of these things but like if you want to see um uh who was you know who was margaret i can't remember remember who that was and you can go back and see when that character was introduced i mean that yeah. kind of stuff is pretty cool and you can highlight things. So you, I mean, yeah. you, you don't have to have your highlighter around. Don't get in trouble for highlighting stuff. And I think you can get definitions too. Yeah, you can. Yeah. So they're like sometimes there's mm-hmm. words. I'm like, oh, what the hell does that mean? Yep. So yeah, it, it's no, got its pros and cons. Yeah, I know, but I do I do think that I do better with physical books. I enjoy them better, more better. I enjoy the process of sitting there with a physical book, and I feel like I actually get gets more out of it quicker. Yeah. Okay, boomer. That's fine. I'm old. <laughs> My kids remind me uh, I'm old every day. I like how that's it's totally okay to be ageist. That's like one of the ists that's still totally okay. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a weird world we live in. I know. Well, John, what do we want to start with topic-wise? Oh, a few things. Um, I have some things that are annoying me because I've been on YouTube a lot. We talked about YouTube because you're Doing the Apple, the I keep wanting to say Apple TV, YouTube TV thing. Yeah, YouTube TV. You cord cutter. I'm jealous. Yeah. I'm jealous about that. But, I'm just uh, like on the new house, I'm like, I do not want to put a satellite dish up on this thing. And then I put my tin hat on and said, now Google knows everything about you. Right. You know, everything you're watching. Yeah, like DirecTV wasn't selling all my stuff to everyone. I mean, it's, what are you going to do, John? Ignorance is bliss. Unfortunately, uh, with Google, we know <laughs> that they, it's all going into the algorithm. No, it's, it's all, it's all going to the algorithm all the time. <laughs> You can, you does can, it, let me ask you this. Does it, would it make you feel better or worse that some service company you used that you know has your data? <clears throat> would it make you feel better or worse if you knew they were a Salesforce they, customer? Uh, yes, uh, maybe. Uh, and I'll tell you why, because I've done enough migrations that I've seen where that data came from and how it was stored. And I'm like, well, at least this is better and much more secure than where you had it before. Can't tell you how many spreadsheets and CSV files I've had with people's social security numbers and everything. And they want me to keep it. I'm like, I'm done with this. I'm about to delete it. You don't need it, right? Just hold on it for a couple of weeks because we need it. Dude, I've got sensitive customer information on my computer. I'm going to get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand how people don't take this stuff seriously. Yeah. Yeah. On the one hand, it's like, do I, it's, it's, do you trust the capabilities of, you know, some 
some platform right to to just have good security right that's one thing yeah but then the other thing is what is the intention of that platform what's its intention to do with your data sure how does it use your data you know and and that's going to change because you can read the terms of service and then next time you log in they're like oh we update our terms of service and you're like okay well i've been using the service all right i'm stuck yeah Yeah. (laughs) It's like, well, I couldn't, I couldn't afford to hire a lawyer to read this the first time. I'm not sure as I can't the second time. So, well, it doesn't matter if you could, (laughs) because the only option is to reject it and not use the service. There's no, well, I had my lawyer look over this, and we're kind of got a problem with this clause. Let's just change that, and I'll I'll sign on to your service. There's there's no avenue for that. Speaking of these things, did is there an update on that? Uh, What's that new California law that Salesforce has already run afoul against? Um, I thought I saw a headline to that effect. California something Privacy Act or something like that. Consumer Privacy. Consumer Privacy Act. There was a high, uh, a headline for it this week, and I meant to read it, but I didn't. So I know there's something out there, but I don't know what the update is. Yeah. If you're interested, uh, and I didn't, I did not know much about that CCPA, so I haven't read it, but I probably won't ever. But it's, I, I heard it uh, that it's just, it was described as you know Cal, this California's version of the GDPR, mm. which that's just what we needed is another GDPR, right? Uh, or even I, better. Every state in this damn country having its own version of the GDPR. <laughs> oh, I, th- I think we'll have a federal GDPR before that happens. Well, no, there'll probably be flavors of it, and then a senator will take it to federal level and say, "This is how we're going to do it." Um, yeah, we need like a, I see it coming. We need the we need the the uniform commercial code of privacy. Yeah, like that all the states can say, "Hey, the we're false, just we're just adopting the this false sense of privacy." Right. Oh yeah, it's all it's 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 privacy theater. Yeah. I got to travel soon, so I'm not going to say anything else about the other form of of a security theater, but uh, yeah, that one too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What were we well, you were, you were talking about that, and we, yeah. we, we, I wanted, uh, as you were talking, I was thinking of something and it forgot it, and now I remembered it. Because you said the, the, do you trust the platform to secure it for you? Which, which, that in and of itself, I was derailing what you were talking about, which I don't remember what that was now. I don't remember either, but I think what I want to jump to is, is the, what I was mentioning earlier, because we, we had this long conversation, you kept stopping me and saying, that's for the show, that's for the show, but I couldn't help it. Um, I was talking about the state of architecture, because I've been looking at a lot of multi-tenant kind of architectures and what's out there and what platforms are out there, just because I have a feeling I might need to build one soon. And so I've been kind of just laying the land, you know, doing the survey, you know, what's out there. Can I interrupt you again? Yeah. Who was it? Was it, um, what was it? Was one of the photos, was it Google photo, Apple photos? People were getting, so again, the, the whole thing with multi-tenant architecture is like, you better hope like hell that you don't accidentally ha- have some query that's wrong and it pulls in another tenant's data, right? Yeah. Um, one of the big cloud, one of the big photo platforms, people, like you could, if you downloaded your photos, you, would, you were getting like other people's photos. I thought, I, I think I heard something about that. I don't remember which one it was though. I don't either. But yeah. That, okay. that, that, that scares me. And, you know, I, I approached it with that perspective, you know, because there's, there's different flavors of multi-tenant. You have the, from a data perspective, data storage perspective, is that you have one big database and everyone's in that same database and they're all in the same tables, but they have uh, some kind of ID, some kind of globally unique ID, some GUID that differentiates that particular tenant's data over another. So everyone's participating in the same database. And then the other flavor is everyone has their own, they're in the same database, but they have their own tables, which is kind of expensive just from a that sucks, wrapping your dude. head around it. But it's a thing. It, that's, it's it's a that thing. Sucks. I, I, 
have first-hand experience with it, and it yeah, sucks. Yeah, no, it does suck. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that one. Right. <laughs> and the other one is... Um, multi-instance? Most, uh, yes, multi-instance in that everyone has their own database. And so whenever they log in, they log into a central place that knows how to direct them to the right database. And then once they're connected to that database, all the queries happen against that database. Yeah. And with multi-instance, it's, it's not just the, their own database. It's also its own instance of the application running. Well, there's variations of that. Uh, you right, can still right. have a single instance of the application running, and then they all get pointed to their own databases. Or True. you could also have kind of, I guess, I don't think that's called multi-instance, though. Yeah I, yeah, I don't know what the terminology is. I think I agreed with you because you said it, but <laughs> I don't know what the terminology is. But there is the concept of each tenant having their own database or each tenant being in the same database. And then there's also the concept of completely virtualized instances where they have their own instance of the application and their own instance of the database. Yeah. So those are all the different flavors and each one has its pros and cons. I mean, a lot of it, a lot of it favors the vendor in terms of kind of managing and, and maintaining the system and monitoring the system. And then there's some that definitely favor the end user. Um, what do you call Salesforce's, which is multi-tenant, except they've split up into a bunch of different pods, and each one is each pod is basically like a multi-tenant application, basically. Yeah, I see that more of just kind of a a symptom or factor of scaling. And is that is that a is that a, a variation or a type of sharding? <laughs> Maybe. I just see it as as a as a as a way to kind of scale up that technology. Just to have you know, once you reach the the scale of one pod, you move on to another pod, or yeah. in the instance of government requirements to say are that data for this country has to be in this country then of course that would have its own pod do you think that within a salesforce pod that they're sharding the database in a multi multiple databases like for example like cut you know orgs with ids this through this are in this database if your id is within this to this it's in this database you know they might, they might split a pod end up into like 10 different databases just for scalability you know more scalability basically. i doubt it but i know they have such a blend of data storage now that your data probably is existing in multiple forms like yeah. your files are existing in a kind of a file centric database i know that einstein uses more of a um uh what is, what is hadoop that's object is that object based or is that key pair based uh, um that's not, I, don't I, th I thought, yeah, I thought I don't Einstein was that. sitting on a Hadoop and I know it's like it's own, maybe a memory database or something like that there's all these different types yeah. of databases and i know they've used a blend of all of them and then you've also got the the backup recovery system that they have, which means it's replicating your data to another pod. And so that other pod has a copy of your data too. So your data technically exists in multiple places. Uh, so yeah, your data's split up. Yeah. But you're the one you're actively using should still exist in that pod. And mm -hmm. I think all those Salesforce standard stuff is in the same database is okay. my guess. Yeah. Yeah. That would, that makes sense to me. Yeah. I don't see why they would do that unless they had a, a reason for it. Because everything hinges on that, the indexing, the searching, all of that hinges, and I can't see them. But you could to split easily that. shard per org, though. I mean, per you could shard on org ID, like you know. Maybe if they decided that the the value they were getting from having everyone in the same database is moot at this point, like they they've gotten to a point. I think the original intent was everyone in the same database because that makes it much easier for us to manage and maintain. Yep. And they might have gotten to a point where like, okay, this is the the pros and cons have flipped here, so now we need to start. Sharding it, yeah. <laughs> sharding, D D. But that's all I can hear is sharding. <laughs> that's why every time you say the word, I grin because all I'm hearing is sharding. <laughs> uh, um, 
Yeah, you know, in some point you hit physics though, and, and really, I mean, if 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 in a multi-tenant system, you know, you really have like one contact table, right, with everyone's contact records in it. I mean, how really how many millions of records can you get in that contact table before you just start hitting even on the you know the best database software in the world and the best storage systems in the world? Like you're still going to start to hit some kind of physics where your your indexes get too big and and it just makes sense to shard. Well, I think that's the whole reason they, they shuffle the pods around every so often where they kicks people off into a new pod. I think that's what's happening. Yeah. I think that's how they're managing I mean, that, that. Again, that to me, that is a, a form of sharding. Yeah. But I think that's how they're doing that. I don't, I want to, I want to still uh, believe that they're not within the database splitting up data like that. I, I want to believe that when they reach that point, they go, okay, new pod, you guys are moving to this new pod. Yeah. But yeah, multi-instance, when you decide to go multi-instance, it really limits, I mean, there's benefits in, you know, downsides. The downside is it really limits um, any customization you can do for a tenant. Like, yeah. I, was it ServiceNow? I still can't remember if it was ServiceNow or if it was a Pega that was, that really was kind of, they were ringing the bell for uh, multi-instance and talking about all the benefits and everything. And you could do, I mean, lots of customization. You, you know, there was a certain number of supported versions. You didn't always have to go to the, you know, you didn't have to go to the new version when the vendor told you to go to the new version. You could do it on your own schedule. Um, yeah, and I don't necessarily agree with that. I kind of like the world we live in where you're on the latest version and you kind of have to deal with it and move forward. It, it, just, it just depends. I mean, what if, what if you know, Salesforce is going to be doing something on a, on a, you know, upgrading to a new version over a weekend that's like your biggest weekend of the year and you got a good chance of your system going down. And it's just, it's, you know, it's just one of those things. You, you got you to take that into account. And if you're a, you know, if that's a big thing, if that's a, an important risk for your company, then it's something to think about in terms of choosing, uh, you know, what kind of vendor you're going to pick and what their architecture is. Yeah, I mean, I, I see your point on that. I just, I just think that the, the advantage of always being on the latest version and not getting left behind because you're too afraid to move forward because you're so risk averse with your technology stack that you'll end up in a worse spot later down the road. Right. You'll okay. end up. You'll yeah. end up so far behind that there's no path for you to migrate anymore mm. and without it being such a huge manual lift yeah um even even me i struggle with when i talk about building the the, the application that i'm on and as an isv i struggle with the mental uh, what is it on on uh back to the future he says you gotta think fourth dimensionally i struggle with that fourth dimensional thinking of okay i'm at point a but if no if not everyone upgrades to point um bc and now i'm on d I have to maintain all that migration logic that happens on install and, and hope that I've, that it's going to translate well, that it's all going to go through all the right layers and all the right code execution paths and everything's going to end up where it needs to be for, for version D to run fine. And this reminds me of these guys at Salesforce by guys, I mean, guys and gals and whatever's um, that maintain the, like, you know, if you're using version 19 of the API, like it still works. And it's just some crazy virtualization layer that they always, every time there's a new version of Salesforce, they're having to rebuild and test those. Yeah. And I wonder about the performance of my app running on multiple versions. I mean, because my code specifies what version it's supposed to run on. So I have, if I have, if I'm running code that spans across 10 versions, what's my performance there? I don't know. I don't know either. Uh, oh. Or what's the what's my potential is issue that, for troubleshooting? Is that is that costing you CPU time? Also, I don't know. Yeah, maybe I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do worry about that. I do try to update everything as much as I can. Um, even though sometimes the best practice is not to do that unless you know what you're doing. 
but I do it anyways. And I have run across a few issues with some old older Aura components that for some reason are hitting some ES linter compile error on the Salesforce side. So I have to bump it back down to a version before that check started happening. Yeah, that's really, I mean, this is actually getting me thinking. It's, it's really interesting, the Salesforce, they make you upgrade on, on their schedule to the new version of their software, but they let all of your code and your integrations and things we're using the API stay on old versions, which is this thing that you were like, I don't, I don't want to do that. I'd rather just be forced to go to the new version. Yeah. I mean, imagine if you were forced to go to the new version on API stuff and any I think, other. I think they would love to force you to go to the new version of the API, but I, I think pragmatically they can't. Because, I mean, that costs money to have a developer go in there and update it and test it. Yeah. It's just, but so that's something where Salesforce is doing the thing that you said sucks, but they're, they're doing it. They're, they're maintaining this, this virtualization layer between the current version and all previous versions that are still supported. I, I just think it's a good example of where you have to kind of pick your battles. I mean, you, you force your customers to be on the latest version of the front end UI of the application, the part where you control all the interfacing It's all the point and click drag and droppy stuff. But then when it comes to code, you kind of have to realize, okay, it's not realistic for us to move everyone's code over to this latest version, given that we're making, likely making either breaking changes or changes that change the behavior of something that they have to account for now in their code. Yep. So that's just, that's, to me, that's one of sales, that's the, one of the most impressive engineering tasks that Salesforce has done, that they've always done. Yeah, I was, I was, when we, when I first got into the platform, when you first got me into it and I started understanding how it was moving through the API versions and the, the backend support. And I was around when they were making pr pretty much real breaking changes because it was what version four or five when I came on. And I think that's around the time they switched the ID schema and all that kind of stuff. And um, I always thought it was, it was the first time I came across an API that had a version schema like that, that actually was backwards compatible. Um, it was either, it was either you're on it or you weren't. Yeah. Um, you were either on the latest version that was on the server or you weren't, you know, mm -hmm. type situation. Or you were pointed to a different server that had the old version. It wasn't like this just fluid thing. I just changed the number and I'm connected to the new API. It was, yeah. it was the first time I came across that. So I was always impressed by the API. And I've always said the API is, was awesome because that's how I got into the platform. That's, that's how I did everything. One common policy I see with other systems is they support API-wise the current version and the and one version previous of the API. Officially, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and, and what I I, was back three. Just as like a... I thought it was like the last three versions. Who are you what? talking about? I'm just saying... In, are you talking about Salesforce support? No, 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 no. Oh. Just, I mean, because Salesforce, you can run really old stuff. Oh, yeah. I just but I'm, from I'm talking about I've seen other platforms. I'm trying to think of one. I can't think of one now. But the, you've got the current version that's supported... And they'll support the previous version, the end, the previous, you know, because usually you, you version in the endpoint. And then as soon as you, as soon as they roll the platform to, you know, version N plus two, version N of the API just shuts off. They just shut it down. And in those situations, it's probably less of a risk because uh, those APIs probably change like maybe once a year, maybe once every two years where there's major changes and they rev it. Salesforce is revving it three times a year. Right. And so it's a, it's a different beast. And I, I, th I think that's why they support the three versions because it's three yeah. releases in a year. So they're essentially supporting the previous year's releases. Yep. I mean, you can still run on the older, older versions, but they're only supporting. If you call up and say, oh, I'm on version 30, I need help with my code. They'll be like, oh, rev your code. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyways, all of this, 
to get to my original thing, which is I was talking about architecture, talking about multi-tenancy, and I was talking about in uh, one of the videos I was watching because I was really, really digging into the kind of identity provider stuff, the the stuff that lets someone log in, provision them in the system, make sure they're connected to the right tenant system, whatever that ends up being, whether it's a ID in, in the same table or their own database. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was amazed at how many people would start off the conversation with, don't build your own identity system. Don't do it. It's not best practice. Go go partner, go get one. So, because, and I wonder when you said this earlier, before we started recording, what do you mean by, what type of identity system are you talking about? Well, it's, it, it, I mean, it's a system that, that, that dictates when someone pro- gets provision on the system, how do they get, how do they first get a, a login provision to them? Like a user, like a, a user, normal okay, right. system user. How do you right. onboard a user, basically? The whole onboarding process of a user. Because uh, it's not just, okay, I've got your username and password now. The system actually has to be aware of more than that. It has to be aware of what tenant system you're connected to, mm-hmm. what your org is, and and how to get you there. And if if everyone's connecting to, say, one global application space, then it has to know, based on that username, have some other system that knows how to pull it and route you the right identity to the right tenant database or however that schema works. And there's a lot there. Yeah. And then talk about managing users and... And then layering in security, you know, they have access to this, this, and this, but not this type stuff. Um, it gets really complicated and it gets really um, kind of scary because not, then you're, and then on top of it, that's just the perfect rule scenario. Then you've got the, you know, people trying to hack the system and trying to do all that kind of stuff you got to guard against. And so it's just like one of those things where it's like, yeah, I see your point. I shouldn't build this. But now I'm, now I'm looking at these vendors going, okay, well, if I sign on with, I don't know, Amazon's identity provider. I forgot what the technology is called, but it's out there. Well, it, it behooves me to use their other layered technology in this architecture stack because then it, it all knows how to work together already. I mean, yeah, I could bit, bit and piece it here from all these other open stack technologies and stuff, but it's already here. So now I'm really signed on with this platform and now I'm building everything on this platform and now my whole multi-tenant architecture is dependent on this platform. But you're choosing that because the benefits outweigh the, the disadvantages. Yeah, okay. yeah. And it, it was it was all just going back to what I said even before that, which was, well, a platform's a platform, and I'm stuck on it anyways. There's the idea of modularity doesn't exist anymore because we've gotten to a point where security and privacy is such a huge thing. I'm not smart enough to build an identity provider system that that I feel confident on can't be compromised. Yeah. So I've got to sign on with someone else, and so that means I'm I'm offloading my understanding and expertise of that to someone else and depending on them. Like what's the, like off the zero as an example, like you can yeah. totally outsource your, you know, your authentication and user management system to off zero. Right. And if you don't want to, cause I've even, I've built several systems using spring security, which is a, I don't even know what they would call it. It's a security framework that deals with, you know, authentication, authorization, things like that. But you still, it's just, it's a framework though. Like yeah. it's not an out-of-the-box product that's just like, oh, you're ready to go. Right. I mean, you still have to plug in a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. and you still have to make decisions on how you're going to, where you're going to store passwords, how you're going to store passwords. Yeah. I mean, it does guide you to smart things like, it, like for example, like the password, I think there's like a password encryptor provider thing and you can pick, you know, which implementation you want. Do you want, be crypt you want whatever right um but you have i mean if also if you want like a a password retry policy that after you try three times you get locked out like that's totally on you to build that Mm -hmm. um 
but there, but there's an authentication framework and there's an authorization framework. So like once I know that it's John that's logged in my system and John, you know, is clicks some button that calls some method on API and I got to decide, okay, I know it's John, but is John allowed to do call that API or right. do that thing? Right. And that's where the authorization framework comes in. And it's, you know, you have to. Well, it's, it's authorization. It's session management as well. Cause the session is usually where a lot of that information is stored and you don't want to cross the streams on the session. Cause then you end up possibly into someone else's data. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of decisions to make. And then once you make those decisions, then you have to go implement things and build things and hope that you do a good job of them. And I mean, in, in the example of spring security, I mean, it, it does, it does a lot of the stuff for you. That's the, that is hard stuff mm-hmm. that, that embodies like just all of the years past and current wisdom and, and standards on security. So everything from, you know, the right kind of cookies and, and making sure they're, you know, whatever they're, HTTPS cookies and they're not accessible by JavaScript and just all these things that, you know, so, some things it's it by default kind of goes with this more secure thing. But sometimes some a lot of stuff you just you need, you still need to know what you're doing. You still need to. I mean, whoever's building that part of the system needs to be a security expert. Yeah, you just can't outsource it yeah. unless you completely outsource it to an, a service. Right, and even then you still need to have you know at least a couple of engineers on your team that are that know security really well. Yeah. So yeah, if you I mean. Building a building identity. So, and, and God, I was just trying to think to myself when you're talking, like, what is, you know, you hear about identity systems, right? And there's everything from, you know, like the, the, the big gorilla is, is Microsoft, uh, Active Directory, right? That's like, mm-hmm. you know, but then there's, there's a handful of other, um, you know, LDAP based. And, and that's when you're talking about those kind of systems, like, what, what are you, what even are those? What do you call those? Right. Um, and what is LDAP? It's an API, it's, you know, it's an API. But but then behind the scenes, it's a protocol. Know, maybe it is a it yeah. is a protocol. Yeah. Um, but uh, and then you've got things like all these. I don't even know what you call them. Like what is Okta? It's another identity system, but they're more like single sign-on, kind of like federating all your different things and yeah, all that. And then it's really complicated. I guess, I guess my main point in kind of exploring this world of architecture, because I've been building applications for a long time, business applications, and it used to be really easy. I'd hide behind a firewall somewhere. If you were on our network and you were, you were authenticated to be on our network, Hey, you've got access to my application. You've got access to my database, (laughs) (laughs) which, which worked in the old days, but that, that shit doesn't fly anymore. Yeah, It doesn't fly anymore. So, (laughs) so, you know, building applications from scratch gets a lot more complicated. Building applications for the web gets a lot more complicated, especially when you're talking about having authenticated users on the system and, and you're talking about having a multi-tenant ar- architecture. And I'm not even sure I, I'm not, I, I think a multi-tenant as an idea is such a buzzword. I don't know that everyone needs to be multi-tenant. I think there's still a valid argument to, to have a standalone application with a standalone database sitting on a VM somewhere um, running a client's org. And every time you need to sign a new client, you just provision a new VM and give them an instance. I think that's still a valid architecture. And, and probably for most applications, especially the one my size is probably a better fit than trying to be multi-tenant given, given the resources I have at hand. Yeah. And, and the risks of multi-tenant. Right. Um, so I, I feel like it was a valid exercise for me to kind of go through and try to understand it and realize how big of a world that is and how risky of a world that is. Um, Cause it might help temper my architecture a little bit um, in terms of making decisions on how I plan that out. What are you building? Building the world, man. Man, in the world. You just gonna leave us in, in, in a mystery here? Uh, it's it's all it's 
conversations have been had. I don't have green lit for anything. <laughs> Mistakes have been made. Mistakes have been made. And um, I'm just preparing myself for potential future. Mm. I mean, it's good. To, it's good to always be in like. Plus, I need to be in the know. I mean, yeah. I've been in this space and I've, I've you know, when, when, a few years ago, I, was, I got really interested in Salesforce's multi-tenant architecture. Because I think at the time, Microsoft was trying to compete with the cloud on multi-tenancy. I'm not, I don't remember what. They had a bunch of white papers on multi-tenancy. And they actually favored the everyone gets their own database model versus the everyone in the same table model. And I remember reading that going, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I prefer that model over this. Mm-hmm. And uh, it made me curious about their architecture and why they made the decisions they made, which I don't think I have answers for. But it would, I would be curious to have a sit down with like Peter, uh, not Peter. Um, uh, what's his name? I don't know who you're talking about. Lightning Man Main. Uh, Lightning Man. <laughs> Who's, I don't even know who Lightning Man is. Uh, Benny House number two. Uh, oh, uh, Parker. Parker. <laughs> oh, do you think Parker knows any of this stuff? I don't even know what his, I don't know if he's involved in anything. I don't know. Well, he was involved in the early days and right. I understand yeah. kind of the story of, you know, why they, why they went with that, that multi-tenant arc, why they went with that style of multi-tenant. I think it was just because NetSuite was, was coming cheap, up was, around that same time too. <laughs> and they went with, well, Net, uh, NetSuite isn't a good example. They would, they would essentially provision a new VM for every client. Yeah. You know? But it was kind of weird. And it I was think, a forced multi. It was a forced multi-tenant yeah, and system. I, I, I would guess that the reason that someone like Netsuite would go that route is just because they're dealing with financial data, and, yeah. and there's a you know perceived or not, um, uh, there's a you know there's a there's a perceived sec- increased security with separate instances. Yeah. But it it, it didn't multi-tenant, seem elegant. multi-tenant is very scary if you, think, if you think about it. <laughs> it, 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 it and, and I, I said like a few minutes ago, that's a valid architecture and I might even use that architecture. Yeah. I think my problem was it didn't seem elegant. It seemed like a bunch of guys in the back were like plugging in a bunch of blades yeah. into a server mm-hmm. and firing them up. You know, it didn't feel like an elegant solution. It feel like I could one button provision, someone would get their VM and their logins and everything signed up and sent by email. It just, it in my head, it seemed very crusty. Yep. So, you know, <laughs> an order came in and some, some guy puts it on his desk, starts just typing in stuff and provisioning databases and saying, you, you get a manual email when, when well, he's I was, done. I was envisioning even more crusty. I was like, someone's got a, a new server blade and sticks it into the, oh, into the, the server room and i mean nowadays you can do multi-instance in a very automated and like pretty badass way at least from a devops perspective you know yeah and i, and I know you mentioned kind of container technology is also helping with that which containers seems to be kind of it's the new buzzword now i mean uh, windows <sighs> 10's new uh operating system for tablet devices um is supposed to be containerized yeah i mean it's it's interesting because it well especially with you know with kubernetes um it's that is the way, like, because you've bitched forever about how these clouds are basically proprietary, mm-hmm. and you're not switching clouds. No. Well, actually, with Kubernetes, it really—I mean, you're you're defining your application, your the, the swarm, the cluster that makes up your application. You're defining it in terms of of uh, you know Kubernetes things and um, and Helm charts and these things that you know you use to describe your application, and then that can run in anyone's cloud. Mm-hmm. You spin it up on Azure, and you know, all of a sudden your Kubernetes control plane starts firing up whatever instances are needed to make your application run, and connecting them all, and making them all find each other and talk to each other. That, that all the different you know services and pit, pieces and parts that make up your your application sounds like a living thing. It it, it, it very much is actually. Yeah. I mean, well, it's interesting. It, and I, in fact, I mean, I, I mean, it, and really not joking at all because I mean, you know, one of the of course 
you, you declare your, your cluster in really declarative terms. And let's say that, um, I don't know, like your, your, um, because uh, you can define like what, what are they called replication sets in mm-hmm. Kubernetes, and it's like okay, I, I need ten of these things. Like you know, maybe it's your, maybe it's the actual like front end web servers. I need ten of those. And um, if you could just like you know log into your AWS you know instances thing and just like thump on them, kill it, and then within like sixty seconds, Kubernetes is going to be like, oh, I've only got nine now. I'm going to spin another one up, spins it up, puts the software right software on it, connects it to everything else, and now you're back to normal. Yeah. Just automatic, self-healing. Yeah, and, and with with this, uh, I don't know why it's called 10x. It sounds redundant, but um, with this 10x operating system, I felt like we're getting that that step closer to to run having our operating system on a thumb drive, and we just plug it into any device. I feel like we're getting close to that. Hmm. I don't. I don't think it's ever, ever. I've always wanted that. I don't know why. I just. I just. I would like the portability of my laptop, but I would love to have a really nice desktop. But of course, managing both systems kind of sucks. It would be nice if everything I needed was on that thumb drive and I could just plug it in. Yeah. And I think containers might get us there. Possibly. I, don't I mean, think it'd so. be containers. I mean, containers. maybe someday if they, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe someday. Uh, the way that containers work right now, I don't think that's yeah, the thing. Yeah, I know. Um, but I just feel like we're, we're getting to the point where things are getting kind of thought of in kind of these kind of modular yeah. ways. And, if that if it keeps going that direction, we might actually get to that point. Yeah. Um, where and it probably might even be wireless. You just sit a card down or something somewhere, and yep. And there's just a screen. There's just a bunch of screens it's a everywhere. Terminal. Dumb terminals. Dumb terminals, yeah. and you just put your st- stuff down and you start going. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That would be awesome. Of course, you're screwed if someone finds your <laughs> your OS. Oh, it's got to be completely like biometrically, you know, whatever. That's yeah, true. So. Well, speaking of 10x, I don't know where that came from, but did you see this thing that Apex is 10 times slower than Flow? Apex is 10 times slower than Flow? Uh, maybe. If it's highly pre-compiled, optimized, maybe. So I feel like this, this topic keeps coming up. And Bob Buzzard, you know, I think he's done, is it him that's been kind of doing these benchmarks for a little while now? But I saw the... Um, did we already talk about this? I don't think we did. But uh, Leo Alves, friend of the show, mm-hmm. I saw him tweet the other day. He said, it hurts my head that Salesforce has 10 times faster execution for before save flows than before triggers. We write code that feels like legacy compared to what's out there. The message is simple. Developers are not a priority. When are we going to be prioritized? I think that's more of a symptom of the technology, not, not a, an intentional slight. Then he says, so flow, uh, flow, with flows, they control the input. They control all of everything that goes into making up that that logic. So they can highly optimize it. Plus, because they know only certain parameters are allowed in it, they can optimize it. And they can also kind of give it a pass on some of the layers of either security or validation or compiling that, that needs to happen. They can do it all up front and it just executes. It just runs without all the other things that, that we have to deal with. Yeah. I guess. I mean, I don't know much about flows, but it sounds like a before save flow is very analogous to a before before trigger. And if they're kind of slotting into that same use case, that same, you know... Uh, well, it always gets priority. It always gets run first before triggers do. Salesforce flows, which includes process builders, mm-hmm. um, always execute before work flows. Yes, before... Uh, well, I think, I, think, I think that's not talking... I don't think... When, I, when he's 
when you call it a before save flow, it, it's just like it's like a before trigger, before uh, before insert, before update, or whatever. I know, but everything has to happen in it, within that transaction. Everything happens in it. I know, order. but you you've drove down a level level further. And you're like you're like okay within the within the before. What are the order of these things, right? So that we've always had that though. It's like you know workflow, then triggers, then now it's you know process builders in there, and um, and then some, and then in some cases, um, if something triggers another another, I guess context or mm-hmm. or you know, stack frame of, of, of DML, then certain things will run again. Certain things won't run again. That's always fun to try to figure out. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, I want to get the second message he had here, which just says uh, that the clicks, not code message is clear. If you want to use modern development tools, look elsewhere here. You find drag and drop tools that will continue to get better. And in case you are stuck and cannot solve it in any other way, yes, you can code, but try not to. Yeah. That's always been the mantra of Salesforce. Their logo was no software. Right. I mean, well, it wasn't no code, though. But it's becoming... Well, Salesforce didn't have code when that no software logo existed. It was all point. No, but they were very pr- they were very happy when they added the ability to, to do code on the Salesforce platform. Yes, so was I. Right. It was a new thing I could build on, and uh, we made a good, good, good paycheck I feel out like, of it. I feel like we're, we've really confounded different issues here. One of them is... Is okay. Why is why is so much of the develop typical development stuff you need to do so difficult on the Salesforce platform? That's that's one thing. Valid question. Um. Another another thing is why you know why would flows be faster ten especially ten x faster than triggers? Um, is our and then because you have to figure out okay is, is Salesforce punishing code and coders? Got to punish the coders, right? Yeah. <laughs> or is this just? And, and actually, I think if you dig down on this, because I, I, I think there were some follow-up posts, and I went and read, um, you know, Bob Buzzard, aka what's his name, Kier Kier Bowden. I think so. Kier, yeah, guys, I pronounce it. Yep. Um, you know, it turns out that it, it depends on it depends on what the flow and the trigger are doing. In this case, it was a, you know, as with like benchmarks and these types of things, which always. You can always, you know, fudge, not fudge, but you can optimize benchmarks for certain little specific scenarios that make some graphics card look better than another, but it's a total fake context and not realistic. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it was like a s- super simple, like they're just setting some Boolean thing or something. And for whatever reason, the flow ran like 10 times faster. But when you give it more realistic scenarios, I think they're much closer. And in fact, at some point you're, I mean, what's a better word for this? You're, you're picking nits. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, you're talking about differences that don't that aren't detectable and don't really matter. I mean, flow is going to be faster than some things because they each, they, they're going to have idiosyncrasies that are unique to them. Like you know, in some cases a flow might be a little faster, in some cases the trigger might be a little faster. But that really is probably not how you should be optimizing your decisions. You should probably should be looking. You know, when you decide whether you're going to do a flow or a trigger, you probably should be looking at you know. The, the use case, the complexity, <clears throat> yeah. um, you know, there's a much bigger picture thing you need to look at that might lead you to, well, regardless of one, you know, takes, you know, 50 milliseconds and the other one takes 80 milliseconds. Like that probably shouldn't be your deciding factor. There's much more important things that actually have effect on actual humans. Yeah. Um, in terms of just uh, the complexity, the maintainability and whatever. And, and a lot of times it's just, you know, it's not a decision. It's just, well, we don't have programmers. So, we do flow, you know, right. 
And, and that might work very for you. And then, you know, you might get yourself in a situation where you're like, crap, our flows are an absolute freaking disaster. Let's get a time to hire a programmer and start unwinding this and fixing some of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'd say, I'd say the, the positive of this is that they are fast and should have very little impact, hopefully, on your execution. And in my experience... I mean, imagine if, if the flows were slower and you have a, an admin who's building a bunch of flows and it slows down and they come complaining, complaining to you. Every time I click your button... This thing's slow. Yeah. And you're like, well, it's because all these flows. Now it's your code. <laughs> yeah. That's my best Karen. And, I, <laughs> and I've even noticed, I mean, I've, I've been overall over the, over the years impressed with the stuff you can do in triggers and it stay, things stay fast. I mean, I can still like jam, you know, 200,000 records in per hour, even though it's running all these triggers on all of them. I mean, obviously you can, you can especially when triggers trigger triggers and, mm. you know. You know, next thing you know, you've you've conjured all kinds of beasts because of your uh, your ritual. Uh, yeah, your your um, uh, one of the high words are just not working with me today. Your um, your sacrifice to the gods. I don't, I don't know, know just like this biblical. <laughs> your your uh, not when you replicate. God, what's the word? Why am I? Uh, what's it called when you your function calls itself <laughs> recursive? <laughs> yeah, thank you. Oh my god, <laughs> you know your recursive logic from hell. Um, you can make trigger slow if you want to. Um, but yeah, I mean. I think the overall I get, performance I get excited is pretty when I get good. To use recursion. I don't know why. I think because it was such a hard concept for me to understand that when I finally got the hang of it, I was like, "Cool, I'm using this. This is awesome." Yeah, I and I. Could. But I'm also afraid of them because I I know I, I every every recursion method I I have passes down a counter because I'm so deathly afraid of it, just endless looping. Yeah, you have to have like what's it called the exit logic. Yeah. When when do I stop calling myself? Yeah. No, I mean, and recursion's a critical aspect of lots of algorithms. But I mean, I, I don't find myself using, honestly, I don't find myself using like the typical algorithmic type recursion very often at all. Like maybe, I don't know, a few times a year or something like that. It's not, yeah. it's not real often for me, but that's because I'm, I find a way to use them I mean, every That's day. because I'm building sales and marketing applications and, and they're pretty. You just got to make it a point. Today I'm going to use let, Let's be honest. We're, we're, we're building sales and marketing systems and they're, they're pretty damn simple. We're not inventing new technologies here. You know. Hey, for job security, I like to complicate it. <laughs> Exactly. That's oh, why you need to save that record. Well, and, I've got to spin up a, a transaction, and then I got to load it into this database and queue it up into the queue that I have to manually build. By the way, I have to create a table and build a queue, and then I got to write the framework to to pop everything out of the stack in the queue. And so, I just want the I just want the audience, everyone, to, to realize here that we have just discovered the reason why Salesforce invented flows because of John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. I get I get paid by the the line so. Oh, do you? Yeah. That's that's a that's a very uh intelligent metric to pay people by. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that can't be gamed at all. No. Anyway. Yeah, I I I don't know. I don't know what the conclusion of that was um but it I suspect that it was just to happen to be, you know, it, first of all it was an incredibly simple scenario. Um this is so simple that it actually doesn't matter which one's faster because even even the one that was 10x slower was 10x of what is the question? I mean, yeah. is it still such an incredibly small number that it doesn't matter at all? Because I think if you, actually, I think on Bob's post, do I call him Bob or Kier? I, did someone, can, I need to know this guy's backstory on this name. I think I feel like I've <laughs> been told it before, but I forgot. Just call him Bob. What do I call you, dude? Just Bob. Yeah. Um, but anyway, like on, there's some other cases where the triggers came out faster. So it's just, you know, it's, I, don't, I don't think there's any conspiracy here to make, to intentionally make Salesforce develop, developer tools shitty or to make code, you know, perform poorly. Well, doesn't it point to kind of a more, a, a higher level psychological issue that we have here in that 
developers feel like Salesforce isn't giving giving them the attention that they feel they need. I mean, we're we're constantly thrown, and we understand why. We know why Salesforce markets this as a low code platform or no code platform in in a lot of cases, and you don't need developers, and you know admins are developers, and all this kind of stuff. Which to to the coders, which we have to use different terminology now. Um, you know, we feel slighted by it, but we know why it's business. It's- we, we are slighted by it. And Salesforce absolutely is trying to marginalize code and coders because it's their, it's their message. They're trying to make it sound easy and cheap. Now, we all know it ain't easy and it ain't cheap. I mean, unless you're doing really simple stuff. But there's enough expensive problems out there that a lot of us work on that are not easy or cheap. Yeah, but and how, they require how, how code. Many, how many times can they go, you don't need a coder, and then they go, need you we really do need yeah. you you yeah. know it, it you know it, it's like we're the, we're the mistress of salesforce and we're like come on we kind of want to stop being the mistress here i know i know you just it's good no one has invented an ism to describe us marginalized developers these days because soon as, <laughs> as soon as we have our own ohana our own support group uh salesforce is gonna be in trouble well, maybe not we're gonna... just not privy to it yet <laughs> yeah we what about equality <laughs> i mean equality. how is this not an equality thing Equality for developers yeah <laughs> Quit marginalizing us. Quit othering us. We're being othered. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea where to take this from here. Uh, well, leave it. Leave it to us. To hey, do you want to talk about something fun? <laughs> oh yeah, sure. Since we're talking about Salesforce and okay. and their messaging, mm-hmm. uh, I mentioned how I because you talked about YouTube TV and uh, that got me talking about how well I don't want I don't want to do it because uh, I don't want Google to now have more data on me. And then it dawned on me, well, well, shoot, I sit here and watch YouTube all day. Well, not all day, but, you know, I get off work and I put on some YouTube because I enjoy yeah, stupid stuff yeah. that people put on the Internet more so than what networks yep. put on the Internet, um, which is getting just as stupid as the stuff that people put on YouTube. I've noticed when I do actually watch regular TV. It's, there's a lot of crossover. But it's happening. worse because it's 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 done better or it's done with more money. Like the camera work is better and the angles are better and it just feels so disingenuous. But it's the same content, and you just like, oh, this is this is making me gag. Yeah. Anyways, um, so then it got me on all the commercials I've been seeing on the Salesforce thing because I was like, well, if they don't have enough commercials, you just keep seeing the same commercials over and over. And uh, so there was two commercials. There's one that's playing constantly right now that I cannot stand, but there's one Salesforce commercial that's my all-time favorite. It's hilarious. Um, it's that first one. Why don't you play that one? You know, I just have to say though, I still have I have never seen a Salesforce commercial in my life. Not even the Super Bowl ones? I didn't see it. Was there just one? Well, the, a few years ago, or a year ago or something, they had those 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 characters dancing around. Uh, I, I might have seen that one. Yeah, those were pretty Was funny. that a chatter? Was it like a chatter thing back in the day? That was no, a I think it had ago. like celebrity caricatures or okay. something. I don't know. But this was my favorite. Oh, so the first one? Yeah. Okay. So all of our customer information is in this spreadsheet. Yep, it's all here. Where are the addresses? Uh, someone must have deleted the address column. Who? Uh, could have been anyone. Who did this? You need a better way to manage and share customer data. You need Salesforce. Uh-huh. And not only was it funny and hilarious, especially when he goes, who did this? Yeah. And then everyone just kind of peeks up like little uh, prairie dogs. Yeah. Uh, it, it had a point to it. And I, I, it was just short and sweet and funny and hilarious. And I love that one. Um, but this, this other one is for essentials and it kind of just, it's like one of those typical marketing ones where you're just kind of like, yeah, it sounds too buzzwordy. It sounds like you're kind of kissing Salesforce's butt when you say this. And I'm like, you don't need Salesforce for that. 
Well, so before we get on that one, I will say, I, I do think that was a funny commercial. That was, that was good. But it's also completely like misleading because there's tons of ways you can blow your, you can, you can irrevocably ruin your data in Salesforce. Oh, sure. But I think the idea is that you're, you're running all your contacts on a Google spreadsheet somewhere. Yeah. Shared with everyone, which companies do do. I still do spreadsheets, man. Yeah. The world still runs on, on spreadsheets. Yep. I mean, I'm, I'm an equal opportunity, man. I do spreadsheets. I do databases. I do apps. I do all kinds of things. I mean, how many enterprise companies were built on spreadsheets? Tons. How, how many have still run spreadsheets for important things? All of them. Yeah. All right. Although I will tell you, some of the stuff, I mean, I, I, I don't, don't have to email people. I know that uh, Google Sheets is not as good as Excel and it, for like really massive and financial stuff. Excel is still king and all that stuff. But um, one thing that Google Sheets does that's cool. It's always had the version history, mm-hmm. but now there's like a, it's, it almost has like a get blame thing. Like you can click on any cell and say, and you can say, show history for this say, cell. Who did this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you can see every value that cell has ever had and who ever had and it ever had. And then who, uh, who did it? That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. It's going to be valuable for the uh, Google AI algorithm to track exactly. later on. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Here's the second one. Able to set up essential. Now, did you? Oh, I might have accidentally. Because I only play like the first half of it. This is actually the longer version. Because it started at the one they've been 23 playing. Se- the 23 second, Marty. Did yeah, you no, do that? No, go back, back to the in, Okay. But okay. yeah, I'll, I'll preface this in saying this is the longer version, which makes more sense than the shorter version they've been showing everywhere, which is basically the first half of this. So I don't know, play the first okay. 30 seconds of it or something. I think one of the hardest things about running a small business is prioritization. Mission.org is a small but growing media company and podcast network. Before we had Essentials, we used our email inbox, we used random spreadsheets, we used random documents. We had so many times where we just forgot to follow up. We were able to set up Essentials in less than a day, and it immediately started working. Scheduling a meeting with a customer. I mean, it's, it's, it's not as fun. It's not as catchy. It's... You know, okay, yeah, you, you're, you're bad at doing your business. You forgot to call customers. Yeah. I mean. This just reminds me of one of the ads you'd see at, at Dreamforce that they just play, like, before someone comes out and speaks or yeah. whatever. I missed the first one, because the first one that I would see, and I'd laugh, and I'd actually watch it. I wouldn't even click skip skip ad. Um, and there's actually a few more with that same group, that same cast, mm. uh, and they're, they're equally as good. But then you, I'm like, don't go to this one. And if, if, any, if any of them are going to have the kind of quick, witty, this is what you need to run your business. It should be the Essentials product, not the Salesforce product. Salesforce product's huge. It's enterprise. Yeah. The Essentials one should have the, the enterprise the is cool and funny nowadays, though, John. I know, but the Essentials one should have uh, the equally. What is cool Essentials? Is that is that what? Remember what was the original? Like you had Professional, which was I'm, I always said it was never designed to be used, just designed to be an upgrade path to an enterprise. Um, and then there was smaller than that. It was like Group. Group. Yeah, I think group, Essentials group is kind of like the. Group. I think so too. Yeah, but you can build apps for Essentials as long as you stay within the. the <laughs> You're going to hit walls. that. Yeah, you're going to hit that wall fast. Um, but you can build apps that target essentials and it's meant for, you know, here's my credit card. Let me, let me sign on for Salesforce crowd. Yep. So when you say Salesforce is in a cloud because you can't use a credit card, essentials is the answer to that. Yeah, if you want essentials, right? Yeah. <laughs> Have you tried that? Have you tried signing up with a credit card? Mm-mm. No. Well, how do you know it works? Because the ad told me. Did it? Did it say that? I don't know. Okay. Now you're, seeing, now you're just in full making stuff up mode. Hey, I'm trying to promote Salesforce here as as a as a MVP here. Yeah, I'm that's true. To do my job. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're an ambas- brand ambassador. Brand ambassadors. Yeah, yeah. representing. Um, uh, what about spring twenty issues? Oh, yeah, I was going to say, should we get into that? I don't know. I mean, 
sure seems like there's a lot of them. I'm, I'm, and again, I'm, I'm kind of out of touch, but man, I've just seen uh, so many people talking. You know, there's the whole, I mean, there's, I think the issue, the Salesforce issues that are legitimate, but then there's a whole like uh, this Chrome, what are the, what's the change to Google Chrome that everyone's talking about? Uh, it has something to do with the cookies, I think. I'm trying to remember. It has something to do with the cookies and it's not just Salesforce that has that problem. It's, it's, oh, it's, it's going to yeah. affect everything, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think like uh, uh, LMS systems that we're partnered with um, have been sending me emails about it and wanting to do about it because it has something to do about tracking things in the cookie and it remembering. And there's also a change to like when someone exits the window or exits the tab that it doesn't track it either or something. There's just some new, some new things that it doesn't raise events for anymore as well. And so like the LMS in particular relied on some of those, those events to, to know when someone jumped out of a, a training module, but it can't do that anymore. So now, you know, the, the message is if they don't actually click this exit button, we're not going to be able to track that they popped in for 10 minutes and popped out. Is it the same site cookie changes? I think so. Yeah, it's Chrome 80. A new secure by default cookie classification system treating cookies that have no declared same site value as same site equals lax. Only cookies set as same site equals none secure will be available in third-party contexts provided they are being accessed from secure connections there's more to uh, it so you than can, just that but i think it's the, that's the particular one that's affecting the salesforce stuff so it sounds like it sounds like you can't explicitly opt into the existing behavior they what it sounds like you can explicit you can i mean like but it's browser sites based. right right but sites can explicitly opt in i mean if you if you use the whole same site equals none colon secure. I don't know. Maybe not. No, um, I thought that was a setting on the browser itself that be. you have to change. Mm. And that's why it's a, it's a big issue unless you have the ability to kind of mass update everyone's browsers. Right. Yeah, it's, it sounds like it's one of those things that it's probably good that's being done. It's just it, no matter when you do it, it's going to be painful. Yeah. Kind of yeah. like GDPR. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hold on. I don't know how to argue that GDPR was necessary or that it has helped anything. But yeah. Everyone's well, got, everyone's got a very good at subliminally click, clicking okay buttons. Yeah, we have, haven't we? Yeah. Um I've gotten myself in trouble clicking okay buttons. I, I bet there are scripts you can install, little uh browser scripts that like automatically click those for you. I guarantee mm-hmm. you they're out there. Well, sometimes you don't want them to. I mean, they're they're getting used to the psychology of where you're going to click and oh, yeah. how you expect things oh, yeah. and sometimes buttons different buttons are where you thought that button was going to be and you click on something and it ends up being an ad. Um, but no, I've, I've experienced, I think, three different issues with um, Spring 20. Uh, one of them being the um, the custom settings changes. So everyone basically lost access to custom settings and you have to go in and give them new permissions to access those. I think there's a there's two settings for it. There's a global setting that you can set and say, yes, everyone can have access to custom settings. I'm not worried about it. Or there's the okay, at the profile or permission set level, I'm going to give these users access to these specific custom settings. So, mm. um, which is fine. It's, it, you know, it affected me in that I didn't have those custom setting permissions in my package yet. And so I had to go in for the few customers that were going to have that issue. I had to go in and manually do it for them or tell them how to do it. Some of our clients don't have um, admins to do yeah, it. Yeah, right. So it's kind of weird The the, that sounds weird to say, but our application kind of almost ran as an OEM for a bit during our build phase, mm-hmm. build phase. And so we have some clients who don't have yet to assign a strong admin to administer the application. So when things like this come up, we have to help them. Yeah. So, yep. 
it happens. The other one was, um, maybe it was only two. Yeah, which is only two. The other one was this bug that I think I found um, with how the low, a user's locale affects the formatting of currency. Yeah, that and was I think someone else yeah. on Slack, I think James, um, was kind of also communicating on my thread saying that he's been seeing some inconsistencies with date formatting. Is it, and is this is where Salesforce is saying, hey, we just, we've, these locales have some properties to them that just need to be updated and changed. And we have to do that at some point and we're going to do it now. So the, the, so the, the changes that Salesforce is making is they were using the locales that were defined in JDA 8. So they're using JDK Java's... JDK 8? JDK 8, okay. sorry. Um, so whatever, however Java defined locales, that's what Salesforce was using. Okay. Now Salesforce is moving to this, this new standard, this ICU standard that has, their own, that has their own standard for that. And so they're moving out of the Java standard and into this ICU standard for locales. Um, and everyone after winter 20 who has a new org is on those new. If it's a new so new orgs created after winter okay. 20 have okay. those locales. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. It's not after spring. Can you opt into the, to the new locales? Yes. So okay. that's the other thing. So um, in your critical updates, there's an option to enable ICU formatting okay. and that will go into effect for everyone. I think January, 2022, it said. So a couple of years from now. So that should give everyone enough time to, to update their code that's relying on those old locale formats. I'm not sure what the differences are, but it is what it is. And it's, I, it's probably less an issue of saying like, you know, because the format is like underscore EN or something like that. Mm -hmm. it's, it's probably less of that and more so that certain regions have maybe have two different distinct, like they used to be grouped in, in JDK, but it's actually two separate entries yeah. in ICU type mm -hmm. situation. Okay. Um, However, anyway, so I think they're doing a lot of work on the location stuff in the back end because it, it's, it exists in the world right now. It's two different things. And I don't know that it's been isolated to the version like it's supposed to be. Mm. Um, I think it's supposed to be version 47 and up has all those codes or whatever, mm -hmm. but I've, I've, I pushed my code back to like version 40 and ran into the same oh, formatting okay. issues. So it's not. It's it's global yep. across all the versions. And that's the part you think is a bug? That's the part I think is a bug because right. it's acting inconsistency. So whenever I say locale, and I'm using the global variables here. So when I say the locale.currency, which should give me the symbol for the current user's preferred currency symbol. Yeah. yeah. Um, for US, it was coming back dollar sign. But if I, if I change my locale to something else, in this case, it was India, mm -hmm. but I'm still using US currency. My preferred currency is still US, but my locale is India. It changed the symbol to USD, right? Where it shouldn't have, and as well because there's two formatting settings. There's it, the number formatting setting, and there's the currency formatting setting. Right. The currency formatting setting, at least in my eyes, I don't know why Salesforce does this, should match my currency. So if I say my currency is USD, that means I should get USD currency symbols, and I should get USD formatting, number formatting for the currency. Mm -hmm. Well, what's happening is. Um, it was showing USD for the currency symbol, and it was using the, um, I think it's rupees or whatever. However, they format those numbers. So there's, it's basically three digits, comma, and then two digits, comma. So that's that's just how India formats numbers. That has right. nothing to do with currency, actually. Right. So that, but in in the Salesforce system, there's two there's two formats. There's the number format, and there's the currency number format. 
I don't think in India, I don't think they dif- differentiate between those. What I'm saying from a system perspective, mm-hmm. so you can have numbers and you can have that. And maybe you're right. Maybe yeah. maybe that's the way it's supposed to be. But it is interesting. So that the, the, no, the change I noticed that in that case you were looking at was that if you're in India and you you know are referring to dollars and currency amounts, you used to see the dollar sign. Mm-hmm. You're not going to see the dollar sign anymore. You're going to see USD. Right. Unless, unless you enable the ICU formats. Okay. And then it goes back to dollar sign. So which one is, forget technology and everything, what does India actually use to refer to, what, what symbol do they use to refer to the US dollar? Which, basically what I'm actually using, which one of those is actually correct? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, do they not use the dollar sign? Do they just do USD in front of the number? Well, all I do know is that prior to this, the expectation, at least that we've set forward because we were, this, this code did not change. Between versions. Right. It's been like that for forever. Mm-hmm. So what happened is we got a call from a client saying, hey, the number formatting for this guy is off. And I looked at him like, well, that's weird. It says USD and it's got these commas in the wrong spot. Yeah. Like, oh, crap. That's just, <laughs> that's just India. Leave, leave it to India, right? To, <laughs> yeah, that, man, the, the, way they, the way that they have the separators, I mean, it's yeah, crazy. Weird. It's so three, weird. Du- three digits, comma, and then it goes to two digit commas. Yeah. It's weird. I know. <laughs> I'm like. If I was, I, I've written, I think I've written formatting parses before, and that was never in my head to no, support yeah. that type of schema. Right. Yeah, because you, th- you know, because, you, you know, we have like the Arabic number system. And I think maybe India, I mean, because I mean, to me, like, they, ha- they have Arabic numerals, so I don't understand why. Maybe it's just a, f- I, I don't know. I don't get it. Um, I'm sure there's probably some kind of logic behind it that makes sense, but to my brain, it does not yeah. make any sense. <laughs> I just goes to show you that when you go global, man, you're, you're, Oh, parsing yeah. and formatting logic gets really crazy. I mean, just, you know, locales and time zones, they're yeah. all so much. I mean, like time zones alone are, are actually so much more complicated than unless you've, you know, like one of the like six people in the world that have really solved this problem for like these different uh, platforms. You don't understand all the gotchas there are. It's yeah. just, it's like they're never ending. There are so many. Yeah. Oh, that. I'm going to tangent on that and okay. say this is a pet peeve of mine. I hope Salesforce is working on some new admin UIs because that dropdown for time zones is way too big. Because I, I I needed to change my time zone to match this user in my dev environment, and I was like, oh crap, I got to find this this. Well, what, time what zone about what about things that list. John, where you p- you have to pick a, a Visual Force page out of a dropdown? Oh, I know. And the, I'm trying to think of where they still have those. A lot of those have been converted to lookups. Yeah. But it's like they didn't realize that some people are going to are have thousands of visual force pages you yeah. know <laughs> it's crazy it's kind of ridiculous that was ever a pick a pick list of visual force pages that, yeah. that that works and it doesn't um i don't know maybe they've improved it but i remember the um or the change set ui mm-hmm. which i think people still hate but um it ha- you know, i think it also had what did when they like what do you drop- mean you think that change set ui sucks does it, I, I i don't use it so i wouldn't know I mean, I really don't use oh, it. Uh, there are, let me inform you. First, you have to pick from a dropdown, and yeah, it's huge. That's good. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. And then it's 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 just pay, it's a pageable interface. So you have to find the ones you want to select, and then add them. Because if you try to go to the next page, it doesn't remember yeah. the ones you selected before. Yeah. So you have to click add. That takes you out of that screen, and then you have to go back into that screen, find your thing from the dropdown, go to the next page, and grab everything you can. Now, do you use any of these Chrome plugins that make the that UI better? No, because I, I try not to use it. No, there's, there's, the, there's I, I don't make it a habit of using chain yeah, sets, no, but on the on the times where I've had to or I've needed to or I've thought it was a good idea because I've forgotten how painful it was, then I use them and I remember how painful they are. Yeah. I hope that I hope there's gonna get some attention to those interfaces because they need it. Um but anyways, back to my point. I did log a case with Salesforce. I'm waiting to hear back from it on it. 
Um, I don't know what Salesforce's take is on that currency format. It's a separate, it's a separate thing. So my, my opinion is that if I say my currency is USD, show me the currency symbol for USD and show me the currency format for USD. But, but that's the point in, in other locales, the currency symbol for the US dollar might not be that dollar sign that you and I know. But for, from a consistency perspective, that's the way it was before all right, these changes. Okay. So I'm just that. asking yeah. them to be consistent yeah. and saying, okay, this is what it was. This is what my customers expected. Let's continue that or tell me that it's going to change so that I can inform my client that this is the way it's going to be. Because yep. right now it's a sitting as a bug on my, on yep. my board. Yep. Your, your boss has <laughs> declared it a bug. <laughs> No, we, we, we've, we've reserved judgment. <laughs> okay. It's, it's a bug, but we've reserved judgment on whose fault it is at this point. It's technically still mine, but uh, yeah, hopefully I hear back on that ticket and I'll get some traction on that. And, but like I said, I think there's other issues when it comes to locales, just because of this kind of foot in both doors situation we have with, with this. Uh, did you see this? Let's see. What was it? Packages with aura components having direct or indirect dependencies on flexi page templates, which are, those are just lightning pages, right? Uh-huh. Are failing to install in spring 20 orgs. Oh. Uh. Should I text this one to you? It's in yeah. to you. Okay. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. You can, you can find it there, John. How about you that? You know, I, I, I thought I tested spring 20 and here, here's where, here's where unit well, tests fail. That sounds like some famous last words right here's, there. Here's where unit tests fail you because <laughs> I have, I'm, I have my foot in two doors as well. Um, I have my new test suite that has um, that has actual users run as users for different profile mm-hmm. versions mm-hmm. that tie to different permission setting, um, which would have caught this issue that sooner than I than I it would have caught it sooner because when I first spun up the the preview org and ran all my tests, everything was fine, and then I had to go through and manually test everything, and that's when I was starting to find all the bugs because my test suite isn't good enough, and um, it would have caught this whole chain the uh, custom setting issue because obviously it would have said oh you don't have the permissions for that and i would have been oh yeah yeah, i gotta do that i gotta put a release and this and that well i didn't i didn't get it in time i didn't realize it in time until right when it came out and i was like oh crap but uh i mean that's where you're gonna test failure yeah and it's like you know oh and i couldn't Mm. there's no way i would have caught this formatting issue because i don't have a way to test the ui you, you need to test the output of the UI. Right. It's not like it's a, it's uh, the code won't compile anymore or it creates some kind of uh, you know test failure. It doesn't. It just the output is different, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, what about, um, do you see this thing where IBM has officially selected Slack um, instead of Microsoft Teams for its 350,000 employees? Wow. That's a pretty big thing. I, I had really to, um, I, I got no, invited. I, I, don't, get, I don't care. It's not that I don't care about the story. It's just that they, they make big deals out of things like this, right? Like, is it Slack saying, hey, we got the big vendor on ours? I don't know. It's, it's a, I just, this, what is this, a Verge article? The, or sorry, a The Verge? How the do you Verge. say a The a the Verge article? Uh, the Verge. An, an, no, Ann. An, uh, the no. Verge. Oh, uh, The Verge article. Oh, uh, okay. The Verge. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's a big win, right? 300,000. I, I do hear good things about teams, and I had to join a call today that was a Teams thing. Call. And I clicked the link and it brought me to a screen that said, you can either use the web version. You couldn't get on, could you? Well, I, I clicked the web version first and then I immediately didn't like what I saw. I can't remember what it was. And so I closed that and went back and I was like, I'll just install the thing. So it downloaded a PKG file. Mm-hmm. So then I double click on this PKG file and 
it ran, you know, opened up the installer and I had to do something to system administrator or whatever and all this stuff. And then finally saw him. Then I went back and clicked the link again and it opened up and it was, was fine. I mean, I, you know, really? I'm, I'm not familiar with the team's UI. I cannot get it to run on my really? machine. Mm. I had a client who was using it and every time I could not get it to connect. I would have to call in, first of all, through my mobile because I was, you know, couldn't use the, the web version. I couldn't, because you have to have the plugin. So I couldn't use, the, the web version didn't work and this plugin thing didn't work. Despite installing it a hundred different times, sounds like a user error to me, John. I don't know. There's only so many times I can user error it. Statistically, I reached that point where it should have at least worked once, and yeah. it never did. I mean, I do want Slack to have a good competitor because I do feel like I don't know. You just you know you want good competition. Just like you know, I I'm, I tend to um, gravitate towards you know Apple products for things and like iOS, for example. But I mean, I'm I'm not a hater of Android or anything. I mean, I I appreciate what android is doing i think they've uh, while they did especially initially copy a lot of stuff from apple i think there's been some bilateral copying going on mm-hmm. and just a lot of and also innovation coming from you know android and some of these other ecosystems which i think is great because everybody we need the competition you know yeah. and i not only for innovation but also to keep prices uh competitive and fair and i don't yeah, want I slack wish- i don't want slack to totally run away with this with this market yeah, I want someone. I want there to be two or three really good competitors because I don't. I actually think Slack's a little overpriced. When you look at what it costs, I think it's a little overpriced. Yeah, I wish they would embrace some kind of community technology. I mean, we're, we we kind of use it as a community, but it's not. It's we're basically all in one big team, so we don't have the tools to kind of allow it to be a you know a, a self signing community type situation, which kind of sucks. Hmm. Not, and there's not. other there's other platforms out there that that do that specifically. Okay. Um. So. I mean, there's been all kinds of like software for But the nice thing about Slack is that people use it for work and they have our channel on it. And it's just like, you know, there's, yeah. there's no conflict there. They're, I know that, that's one thing that I've worried about is like, can we pick Slack? Because it was kind of the, that was the thing to pick at the time. Mm-hmm. And it still kind of is in a way. I mean, there's alternatives. But I just, you know, is it, are we going to hit a, one of these days when Slack's not cool anymore? Oh, and sure. Everyone's dumping it and there's something that's hotter. And then, yeah, we, we, should, start we over. switch over to TikTok, right? S- speaking of Slack, let me, hang on, let me take a quick peek. We are nine people away from hitting 1,000 members. Cool. Yeah. So I'm sure there are nine people right now, John, that are listening to this that have not joined our Slack yet. And I will, I will admonish you to, <laughs> is that a good word or a bad word? Is that <laughs> strongly suggest, uh, go get on our Slack. You, and the way you do that is you go to gooddayserpodcast.com and you click on community and you just put your email address and John will add you. Sound or like or you can get any existing member to invite you. Sound like a YouTuber. Like and subscribe. I know. Isn't that annoying? I hate all that crap. That's why, <laughs> I don't know, part, part of the reason why I, I kind of cringe at the thought of any kind of ads is because I, I, I never, if I ever have to read a freaking underwear ad or a mattress ad or any of this other crap, then I'll, I'll feel very bad about myself. What about a beer ad? No, because I don't like you know, beer ads be, either. Well, because beer vendors can sponsor us with beer. We don't need the money. We just need the beer. That's true. See? Yeah. They win. We all win. <laughs> we all win. <laughs> okay. Oh, I don't have titles, by the way. <laughs> but I think that should be one. Um, well, I didn't. I'd, of course, I've been, I haven't really, I've, I've been living in the moving world and appliance world and unpacking world and all that kind of stuff. So I haven't really followed much, but uh, I did see that Adobe has overtaken Oracle as the world's second most valuable, not, not biggest or profitable or any of that kind of stuff, but second most valuable in terms of their market cap. Uh, second most valuable software company right after Microsoft. 
get this, within the, I guess it was during the financial crisis. When was that? 10 years ago now? Mm-hmm. God, was that 10 years ago? Wow. I can't believe that Y2K was 20 years ago. Yeah. Does that make you feel old? Everything makes me feel I old. I mean, I know. Well, that's because we're old. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, so. I was, I, I was nagging about all the skin that was showing on the Super Bowl. I was like, I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, on the whole crotch thing and grabbing the crotch and why that's okay for Michael Jackson, but the difference with Michael Jackson is he was wearing pants. Okay. She was wearing like one strip, a one inch strip of cloth over her crotch and grabbed it. I don't know. I was still now, uncomfortable I'm, every time Michael Jackson did it. And I'm exactly like, yeah, who's, <laughs> I, I never said I was really comfortable Michael Jackson grabbing his crotch either. But anyway, uh, crotch talk right here on the Good Day Sir podcast. <laughs> no. <laughs> Can Crotch Talk be a title, John? Where is he going to get it? <laughs> well, every, literally, literally everywhere yes, else. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, back to Adobe. During the financial crisis, their stock was down at, uh, was, uh, their, their market cap was $8 billion. And since then, they've gone from $8 billion to $170 billion. You know why? Because they're valuable. They've, no, it's because all those Instagrammers Photoshopping their pictures. You think so? Yeah. Every mm-hmm. one of those got a subscription to... to the creative suite. They also, in that time, completely converted to subscription-based services. Yeah. That's what I said. Like, successfully. I mean, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And, and Salesforce has got to be up there. I think they're fourth place now. And I, I think Salesforce is, again, we're talking about market cap. I think Salesforce is close to overtaking Oracle. That, that will be so, interesting. So, Oracle still has a lot more revenue than Salesforce and, and way, way more profit. But market cap-wise, in terms of, again... Basically, it's like their stock price times the number of shares, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're up there. Mm. What is Salesforce? Is it one hundred twenty billion? What are they worth now? Oh, I don't know. Salesforce market cap, right? That should be that should be a thing that. Um, mm. I stopped counting after fastest to twenty billion. Where would that be? One hundred sixty-eight. Oh yeah, they're they're right up there. They're close. So uh, Salesforce overtook SAP. Last week. So, moving on up. Yeah, I wonder how SAP is going to do the next few years because they got that whole migration coming. Yeah, and they, you know, they they made some interesting acquisitions. I think it was like eight billion of acquisitions last year. Um, one of them was Qualtrics. The other was, oh my gosh, uh, mm, some what was it? Career thing. Yeah. Uh, Dang it, it annoys me now. Um, nah, I don't know. Whatever. Business yeah. objects now. Qualtrics. Um, I don't know. Can't find it. Concur. Concur. Sorry, concur. Well, I concur. Yeah. <laughs> Funny, John. What was concur? Oh, it's expense management. That's that's exciting. Just jealous because you're not. How's expense management? An eight billion dollar company. How's what? How's ex, how was ex, expense management? How was how are they an eight billion dollar company? Is it really how's, that how's valuable? CRM worth? Well, that's a good question. Sixty billion. <laughs> your glorified your act database in the cloud. Well, we used to run that. You, people people CRM used to be their Outlook. Yeah, that's true. With shared folders and everything. But like that, like that guy said on the video, you know, he was he forgot you forget to follow up on deals. Yeah, it's called running your business better. You know why? Because there, there's another commercial that's shorter. Which I could not find, so that was the closest I can get. And maybe he says it later in the video. But he talks about his day, how he's the chief, the chief dog walker, and the chief all this kind of stuff. I'm like, well, dude, stop 
taking time out to walk your dog and run your business. But yeah, that's me nitpicking at yeah. it. I just, I just didn't like it because it was essentials. And I thought, you know what? Those funnier, snappier commercials would be better for essentials than it should be flipped. You know, I think, you know, Salesforce, because they're, I guess, at the point where they're starting to do, you know, ads like this. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, th- I think they're playing around seeing what, which ones resonate. Yeah. Which ones resonate. And they also might have um, multiple advertising agencies that are all bringing them different strategies and they're kind of testing yeah. which one can deliver the best results. Well, the snappier, funny ones seem to fit in line with kind of their kind of loosely goofy immature attitude to marketing and it, it's it's also it's like what is i'm, I'm trying to figure out what is salesforce's a personality what is their voice and i think as they make more more ads we'll start to learn that more because they're i mean you know they've got the whole trailhead thing which is kind of a light-hearted um you know it's like character you know mm-hmm. the characters silly yeah. characters and stuff you know the disney world but, it, but it's not funny i mean salesforce isn't funny they've never been funny yeah, I so mean, is that whereas like um, um, who may, who ha, who's known for funny ads? Like, is you know the, the Geico ads are pretty funny, right? They're just yeah. that's just part of their that their voice is like it's always funny. Um, well, it's a strategy. I mean, it's it's not a strat. It, they're not ads designed to get you to buy something. They're ads to they're they're name recognition ads. They're yeah. you know they're ads designed to kind of keep your name out there and and keep you in the general populace. You know, it's those are tough too because you can make ads that are hilarious and yeah. then two seconds later people are like, oh, who was that ad for? I don't even you know. It's like that's that's a problem. You know. Yeah. So, anyway. All right, John. Well, I'm out of uh, beverage and I'm out of information beverage, and I'm out water. of energy. I don't know. Exactly. And I'm out. That's what yeah. I'm saying. I'm yeah, this was boring. I mean, there, there's some acquisitions of partners and things like that. And I think Salesforce had a I saw that. One of, the big, one of the big Indian shops bought it? a... Infosys. Keep, keeps buying... Simplis. Yeah. Keeps, yeah. And the Simplis is, is somewhere domestic. Yeah. And, so. uh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the way of things. Yeah. No one's going to get acquired. I'm not being acquired. I can tell you that. I'll acquire you. Oh, will you? Well, can you afford me? No. hundred bucks. No. <laughs> what? <laughs> can't on. afford a hundred bucks. <laughs> That's too much. That's too rich for my blood. Yeah. Well, hey, you can't touch this. Do you hear about this new thing that's <laughs> opening up over here? It's like, it's like a sporting goods store. And my son said he saw a commercial for it and it's got a darn Ferris wheel in it. Is it the one over the, the colony? Shields or Shields or something like that? No, yeah, it's over in the colony. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've seen it. It's huge, yeah. right? Yeah. It's got a Ferris wheel in it. Dude, that whole grandscape area is... Are, we, are, we are way off topic for this podcast. No, I know. It's just... So, so this are, is hyper-local. Yeah, it's 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 hyper-local. But I, my son said something about me. He's like, I, I thought he would be like, oh, let's go. Let's go this weekend so we can ride the Ferris wheel. And he goes, Ferris wheels are boring. You just sit in them and they go around. I'm like, yeah, they are. Why do people like Ferris wheels? And why um, is there a Ferris wheel in a store? Yeah, just get gimmick to get people to come in. Okay, I'm gonna try this again. Okay, so can, can we try this? Can we wrap, roll this back? Try this again. Okay, yeah. Okay, three, two. All right, John. Well, I'm I'm out of water here, out of topics. <laughs> can we try this again? <laughs> and to that, no, you got to do your outspiel. What's my oh. share us like us? Oh, send okay. us an email at info. Yeah, let's let's see who let's see who'll be the thousandth. We, we should do a contest. No, we're not going to do it. Okay. Now you sound like a YouTuber. I know. <laughs> no, we're not going to do a contest. Okay, whoever is a thousandth member of our Slack community. By the way, Davey504, Davey headphone reveal at six, that, six million subs. There you go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Share us on the socials. Uh, questions, feedback, and sticker requests are sent to info at com. 
review, re- give us a review. Those are always fun. Yeah, we'd like a review. Yeah. Be nice. I keep yeah. getting those emails and it's sad because it says no reviews. It makes me sad. All right, John. to be happy. I got my finger on the button. Well, and to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.